The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today, we continue last week's interview with IONS new president, Chuck Swedrock. One of the fascinating things we learned last week was a recent prophecy from a near-death experiencer that Ions can look forward to playing a major role in the spiritual growth and understanding of the world. This comes at a time of great technological breakthrough in Internet communications where Ions support for NDEers can be both intimate and worldwide all at once. So what are the possibilities and the drawbacks to the consequences of such growth? Well, here to continue the conversation is IONS President Chuck Swedrock. Chuck, welcome back to NDE Radio. Hey, thank you, Lee. Thank you for your service. This is an incredible opportunity for us to talk about what IONS is and what it can do. Yes. Uh, Chuck, why don't we begin with, um, since this is going to be reaching, hopefully, a much broader audience, how do we know that NDEs are real? Oh, boy. You bring us right back into the... Focus. Um, <clears throat> boy, uh, let me say one area that kind of makes them real is they've been studied from so many angles. Um, Ken Ring, one of the founders, studied people who were blind, those con- congenitally blind from birth and never had the gift of sight, and those who maybe got blinded by accidents or something and later had an NDE. And in his book, Blind Sight, you know, he authenticates they had uh, real perceptual imagery. Now, whether it was human sight in the sense of seeing, uh, if you've never been sighted, and then how do you discern what the word red means? But there was enough cooperation in their information to say they have, in their experience, had a real connection with a conscious a consciousness beyond the physical, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, very much, I think they're that kind of establishes real. Another form of study, and this is more, maybe more limited, is those people who are intellectually disabled, uh, what I guess we used to call retarded. And then we have seen experiences in individuals like that. And there is clear definition of what they are, have experienced whatever the cause was, um, you know, usually some sort of medical crisis or severe disease, and they come back. Now, they don't have uh, rectification of their intellectual disability, but they are able to communicate at their own level about a reality that convinces you that they had an experience and that experience is beyond the ordinary of what our consciousness uh, pervades. Uh, there's a real interesting case, which was Dr. David Hufford, one of the researchers of this phenomena, and also a teacher for uh, the Penn State Medical School. His son was um, intellectually disabled uh, from a birth incident. And even at the age of 40-some years old, Dr. Hufford was still having to help him attend to his personal care, uh, even to the point of brushing his teeth. 
while the son did have an experience and was able to convey that in the experience, the son felt like he did not want to come back. He wanted to be in that area, domain, reality that his uh, consciousness had gone to, but was communicated that the son needed to come back for the father, Dr. Hufford. And so he's back and he kind of, is you know adjusting to being able to communicate about this at his own level of uh, ability, mm. and one of the chores that Doctor Hubbard had for him was to go take the trash out, and so one day he had been dawdling, and Doctor Hubbard tells him, "Well, you know, it's time for you to do your chore," and he says, "The the boy came back with yes, I know, I came back for you, you know, kind of like <laughs> this this assistance was." Uh, something that he was able to communicate about him coming back for his father. Of course, his father was happy to have him back just out of his love for his son. So, I mean, those kind of everyday, ordinary differences of looking at this say, yeah, there's a real phenomenon. And uh, I think it's confirmed over and over again in our 40 years of studying it. So I don't, I hope that answers the question for folks a a little better. Uh, I will have one. I will add one other thing. The most profound thing that the researchers find that demonstrates the reality of it is the after effects. And I think you've heard this before, sure. Oh, absolutely. How people are changed by the experience uh, physically, mentally, um, in many significant ways. With all this, uh, all these kinds of radical evidence, why do you suppose that organized religion has put up such resistance to the acceptance of NDEs? Well, organized religion, organized science, um, it 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 confronts you with you with the need to look at your paradigm. So you describe reality out of a belief set, and if something comes along that forces you to question that belief set, I think there's a natural tendency to resist it. Mm. You know, we have an internal momentum to continue our self-perception and we're not always change isn't always easy it's not always comfortable but i think when you get the loving message that is so consistent in these experiences what really comes down to me is the life review when we see in the people who describe a life review how you get to be yourself and you get to be the other in your everyday life you get to experience yourself from the other person's point of view. That, to me, sensitizes me to want to make sure that life review is going to be something I'm going to uh, look forward to and not, you know, regret or shun. Yes. If I if I've treated someone poorly, I'm going to get to be that person and see exactly how it felt to them. So that, to me, is just why I always want to seek a positive relationship in my feelings with others, even though I have humanness and feelings and want to blurt out (laughs) (laughs) certain responses. Well, hopefully, Chuck, one of the things that you'll be glad to see in your life review will be the broadening of um, the reach that IONS can have through the new technologies. And I wonder if you could talk uh, to the audience a little about that. I'd be delighted to, because... For almost from the beginning, and certainly in the early 80s, we've had uh, in-person groups where people get together and they provide 
A set of principles that IANS has developed as guidelines for groups to get together and meet and share experiences. You know, the most, I'm going to, three very distinct ones. Uh, we want to provide a safe, neutral environment for people to share their experiences. And that we, IANS, does not endorse any particular doctrine, philosophy, or religious interpretation of these Extraordinary expenses, not just near death. And IAN supports a process of mutual respect for individual uniqueness. So in a meeting, we want to share from my experience was this is what happened to me. I had this, you know, experience, what we call the first person or I statements. And then the rest of the people listening to that are asked just listen in the sense of respecting what that person experienced. Mm. So I, I call it a code of conduct. We don't want to have in our meetings. So knowing that for the in-person groups, that's in a sense, uh, in some ways amplified for having an online meeting where we're going to share. And um, we want to have an online program, which is not a chat room. It's going to follow these principles and uh, the proposed code of conduct would be, uh, I'll just read three of them. Mutual respect is a key, key ingredient for participation in this group, whether in person or online, attempting to the best of one's ability to abide by this form of interaction, whether others do or not. So I'm only there for me, uh, to be the, in the best of my ability to accept a new, a, you know, mutual respect. A key requirement of participation in group is confidentiality. Now people will say, well, how can you do that? You know, how can you guarantee it? You can't guarantee it either in an in-person group or an online group. We require or request that people Keep what is said in the group in the group. But an in-person group, people can go out of the room and talk about it. And hopefully they'll be generic and not revealing identities. But that is a concern, you know. The safety comes from the belief that people in the group have agreed they're going to respect that, uh, right. that position of confidentiality. The third thing, thing is the most important one. The only person we can effectively change is ourself. So do you agree that your search for truth will not be the same as another person's? And tolerance of different beliefs is an essential ingredient for effectively listening to and supporting others. So you may be coming from a place that just does not resonate with me, but I'm not there to convert you or change you, I'm there just to listen and accept that that's where you're coming from. Right. So that that is the framework with which these groups can work. And that comes from a history I've had. That if people had a chance to go out and look at my YouTube, I'd describe how I got that kind of background in going through uh, peer. These are peer groups. We're, mm-hmm. we're not there as experts. We're there as our own individual self with a certain set of rules of how we'll relate to each other in a caring way. So let me talk a little bit now about what the online program will be like. Uh, we've, we've been 
doing these groups online in a pilot form for, well, in April, it'll be a full year. And we create this with a platform that, you know, uh, there's several out there, Skype or GoToMeeting or Zoom. We've actually uh, used the Zoom platform. And we put a program front end on it so that people can find groups. You know, if you're looking for a group, you want to know what day they'd be on, you know, time that works for you and that sort of thing. So there's a catalog. Um, we started with generic groups and we had volunteers, which we, you know, communicated, communicated to about having this meeting at a certain time in a certain way. And develop these principles like I talked about for how do you do it online and do it in a way which is comparable to what we do in person groups. Our first meeting, um, April of last year, we had 12 people online. Uh, there were three or four from Australia, one from, I believe, New Zealand. There's one from Canada, um, three from Arizona. And one each from Michigan, Ohio, and Massachusetts. So you can see already the diversity this online platform will provide for people to get together and share. Yes. We, we went through the guidelines kind of like I was sharing there for their Heinz principles and the code of conduct. And so a couple of people started sharing. Uh, they're very disciplined. They start and end on time. These were 90 minute sessions. Um, and a couple of people who are more experienced sharing were on webcams so you can see each other. That's really kind of important to this platform because that personal interaction you get from people, it, it makes a difference. You can do it online with just audio, but I think the uh, webcam presence of there you are in person mm. um, adds to it. The other so there were a couple of people who shared their experiences. They had, I would say, experience sharing. And then a woman spoke up, and I think she was from New Zealand, said, well, my experience is a little different. Would it be all right if I shared? And we say, sure, and that's why we're here. And she shared an alien abduction experience. Well, in the world of NDEs, we're trying to draw in the circle around certain experiences. They kind of are uniformly of a certain variety, you know, the tunnel, the light, meeting beings. Well, this was a different experience, but it was real for that person, and they, they felt the safety to share. That allowed another person to speak up and say, I think that they'd had some kind of alien contact experience. We weren't there to judge. We just listened, and we knew they're sharing something that's real out of their lives, and that, to me, was the purpose this was already in this very first online session, what we were looking for. Then a couple of people shared what are sometimes called negative or um, not positive near-death experiences. Some call them hellish. And those have also been kind of pushed to the edge when you get the standard most uh, most related experiences being the positive and the light kinds of experiences but they felt the safety now that they could come out and share it from their point of view then as we're 
nearing the end of the uh, time, about 10 minutes left, uh, the uh, facilitator, a woman from uh, Sydney, Nicole Gruel, was on the IONS board now, an excellent um, parapsychologist, doctor. She said, well, we're about to close. We've got 10 minutes left. Does anybody else have something they'd like to share before we go through the closing? And a woman spoke up who hadn't shared yet and said how she had had an experience, a near-death experience within the last two years of that time, and she never felt she could share it with anyone until that moment in that online session. And that mm-hmm. touches my heart in such a powerful way. This was a home run for that approach to having these groups. So yes. why why is it taking us so long to get it out there? Because this is, these are not going to be chat rooms, and we've gone through two training courses for facilitators, and we've had people volunteer, take the training, pay tuition to be trained to be facilitators. So that when we open the doors, it has to be a quality platform. It has to have the technology to support it effectively, and we've rewritten the front end now a couple of times so that it is good performance orientation. We've built the catalog, and we've trained about 22 dozen or a little over facilitators so that we'll have people that can, you know, be available to run these groups on a consistent, timely basis. One of the great things about uh, getting together in person and people who've joined local groups or come to the to the conferences, the annual conferences, know that there's a real power in the um, ability to hold hands with someone or to give them a hug if they need it. Is there do you do you find an an electronic equivalent to that in in these group sessions online? Yes, we do, and uh, no, you don't get that physical contact but you get the emotional and and spiritual contact. And I will say I've had people in that those pilot groups say they felt more comfortable because a lot of times these experiences come with post-traumatic stress disorder or side effects that uh, make it difficult for whatever reason for these people to be around others. And in the safety of their own home with their own, you know, context around them, they had the comfort to share and they felt it was easier to share. And, and the person who, one of the person, people who related that to me has experienced both now, the in-person and the online and felt that the online helped them feel a stronger connection uh, to their own safety and their willingness to share. Mm-hmm. So that, that also is, to me, testimony that this platform has a very positive use. What will you do if someone uh, agrees to um, the rules that you mentioned earlier, but then gets on and has an agenda? Um, you know, we we all know about the both the joys and concerns of institutions like Facebook and other social media, um, where they've been co-opted from time to time and exploited for commercial or political ends. Well, good question. That's one of the emphases of our training. We've had a psychiatrist come in and give us guidelines for how do you help in that kind of a situation. It's a peer group. We do not give advice. We might make 
limited referrals, you know, to go to something like assist if somebody's, you know, got a heavy need. If somebody's there to tell their story and doesn't want to share time and, and adhere to kind of the community code of conduct and sharing, and we use, there's a tool in the online platform, like you can raise your hand when you want to share, and so you can use sort of a, uh, Native American kind of concept we call the talking stick. Mm. You raise, you raise your hand and you know that the next person is ready to, to share. So that's kind of a sign for the current person to close their thoughts and then a facilitator calls on the next person in line. Um, it's a way of knowing that somebody else is in the queue. So that's important. Well, if somebody is, well, let me, give you one principle that I think we and IANS want to adhere to is you can't model tolerance by being intolerant. So we will give people the second and the third and, you know, additional opportunities, you know, to be respectful and to adhere to the code of conduct. But if somebody is just totally, you know, unwilling or unable to agree to that, we can close them out of a meeting. Uh, I mean, the tool does allow you to, I hate to use the word, but, you know, expel somebody from the session. Mm. So the facilitators would obviously use that as a last resort. Right. Also, uh, I want to share with you what the catalog is going to provide over time. And one of the questions that should be coming up is, well, when is this going to be available? Uh, Excuse me. Actually, it's available now in a limited context. We're not advertising it to the public because we're not ready for a large influx of, uh, uh, you know, participants. Uh, but the catalog right now will provide access to what we're going to call general sessions. That's where anyone can sign up in the catalog up to a limit, uh, for the, in any one session. You can't have you know, a hundred people in a sharing session, you know, so that will be confined in terms of any one session having maybe 20 at max people. Um, then after general sessions, there's going to be a level in the catalog called theme or topic. So I liken theme to be for birds of a feather, people who have the common interests, say they're uh, nurses or maybe they're uh, family members of experiencers or, you know, people who want to come together and explore topics within the frame of their uh, view of the subject. Then there are topics which could be uh, how do you deal with the after effects of an experience? And so that's also kind of a theme, but um, or after death communication and somebody's getting messages and, how do you deal with that? And so there's theme and topic groups are one level up from the generic session where the theme will be sharing experiences. Um, wow. And then the third level will be courses. We got people who want to teach courses and they can do multiple sessions over, you know, several weeks or whatever. And these all be priced according to what the teacher and, you know, IANS agree to. You know, certainly want to keep it within everybody's means as possible. But uh, and then the final kind of platform will be webinars, which there's a lot of that out there already on the Internet. But 
we certainly have uh, a lot of spokesmen, spokespeople that uh, will have topics that will be very wide-ranging interests, and uh, we can put those up in a very quick way. And then just to talk about it, via subscription service, one of the things that IONS needs to do is to build a platform. IONS is a very tiny organization. We're all volunteer except for one paid staff and one part-time uh, employee in the office. Uh, and we need to get to the point where we have enough resources to pay staff because volunteers burn out or they're not always available as they're needed. And we certainly need volunteers to help get this online platform up and running. So people want to help us either by volunteering with their time or, you know, uh, make donations. Uh, please call the office and uh, indicate that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you give out the number for the office or not, but. Yeah, oh, that, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the Ein's office is area code 919-383-7940. That's 919-383-7940. And say that your topic is ISGO, Ein's Sharing Groups Online. And that's the platform that we will be announcing. We were targeting for it to go live here. Well, it is live, but we're doing pilot sessions right now. Yes. And to make it announced probably, say, by mid-April at the latest. What what I find really exciting is the notion that we could be reaching uh, groups like nurses and chaplains and uh, uh, police, for that matter. I mean, all the people that, that might be sharing common um Interactions with with this sort of situation, like a, a near death experience, but but um, have also got some background in it. Chaplains, for instance, hospital chaplains or military chaplains uh, encounter near death experiences all the time, but seldom get the chance to talk to one another about it. And here online, they could they could be coming in from all over the world and discussing how they can take an NDE and use it to help other people. And in multiple languages, we have several people that already are talking about providing uh, some sessions in Spanish, and one woman wants to do it in French. Um, at the conference last year, we brought in a uh, presenter from Iran, Ishafar, Iran, and I got to talking with him after we'd set up the connection, and he was interested. You know, who knows? Maybe we'll even have one in Persian. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> so, so those are down the road. I mean, we have to really crawl before we walk, before we run on this platform. We can't promise too much too quick. We have to just make sure quality doesn't get lost in the pursuit of, uh, you know, uh, making this available. Mm. Do you foresee at some point someone just in charge of the uh, uh, Internet connection um facility so that they can be sort of monitoring from time to time the, all the different uh, groups that get started? Yeah, we need, and actually, boy, I'm glad you brought that up. I would love to have somebody volunteer to be the registrar so that works with what kind of programs we put up, making sure we got facilitators scheduled for it, and if somebody can't make it as a facilitator that we can get a substitute at last minute. Mm-hmm. Um 
And the un, another function is um, every group right now will have two people helping facilitate it. One will be the facilitator, which guides the discussion. And then the other is the moderator, which sits at the panel that controls noisy lines and makes sure that the experience also has a technology component for its quality. So it's really no fun to be sharing and trying to overcome the barking dog in the background or <laughs> somebody's cell phones run, you know. Yeah, so those lines can be muted or, you know, the, to a degree we can make sure that the technology controls the ambience that yes. the group, group provides. Just NDE radio on a one-to-one basis runs into barking dogs and ringing phones from time to time. (laughs) Well, Chuck, uh, we are out of time, but I want to thank you again for for doing this, for explaining the – and really, um, uh, it's it's such an amazing um, vision, I think, that you have for uh, the future of IONS that – Ion sharing groups online is go. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Well, listen, uh, to my audience, if you'd like to listen to this show again or last week's, um, the, the first part of our interview with Chuck or any of our past programs, you'll find them archived at the past shows button at nderadio.org. And again, for more information on NDEs and IONS, go to that website, IANDS.org. Thanks again, Chuck. My pleasure, and thank you, Lee. All right, this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.